Ladies and gentlemen, Corner Kick fam, welcome to a very special live edition, well, live-ish edition of Corner Kick uh, being recorded in a house with some famous Corner Kick memories, uh, my own house, in redacted area of Massachusetts. Yeah, I think it's important to not triangulate <laughs> our location. I've definitely, well, I mean, to be fair, we've got fans from all over the world. You know, we've got we've got fans in Hungary. We've got fans in Natick, Massachusetts, which is it's not true. where we are, for the record. So you can cross that off. You can cross yep. that but off. But we're not far. Well, we could be closer. We could be closer. But the point is, you, you don't know where we are. We don't know where you are, but... Uh, although you will note that although we're physically in the same room, our audio quality has never been worse. <laughs> it hasn't <laughs> been worse. Sorry. Our audio quality hasn't been worse since before any of us knew how to podcast and we were recording in the basement of basically a 1950s brutalist bomb shelter designed in case the Soviets got extra bold while kids were at school. Or <laughs> I, I found it. And I was like, yeah. guys, this would be a great place. A room which no longer exists, by the way. They demolished it two years after we left. We really left our mark. They turned it into a green room for... Uh, they didn't demolish the room. They just switched over to the... Well, Whatever. okay, they, they refurbished it. They said, it. guys, this podcast was it's so tainted. disastrous yeah, it's tainted. that we need to remodel the room. The, the key point is that the audio well, what sounded we used better to... when Nick was in Hungary. Uh, <laughs> um, no, but it, when we were in that room, the way we, we would record the podcast is all three of us would be sitting next to each other recording on our own computers into our own microphones. And then we would wonder, hey, why is there so much echo right now? Because I, every other person's microphone was picking up what it the other people like were saying. giving me like the equivalent of like epilepsy, but like for your ears. <laughs> no, it really was. Um, and, you know, that was obviously the, the, the birth of what is now Corner Kick which sort of formalized a year or two later, really the next summer with the World Cup. But the point being, uh, none of us have a dongle to connect Caleb's mic to my laptop. So you can blame, you know, Macintosh for its pl- or Apple for planned obsolescence and, you know, the, for some reason not including a USB port on their biggest uh, laptop. You can blame Caleb for not bringing a dongle when he had one in his hand. Uh, but it, the point is, the audio, the audio quality, not as good. As but what it. I really think this signifies is our dedication to our listeners, because regardless of audio quality and or podcast recording location, we are still bringing you the first episode of 2023. That is true. On, on this day, January 6th, this um, is our first episode. This is our first episode of 2023. So happy new year, wherever you may be celebrating at this point. All the clocks or calendars have been turned forward. So the last year, 2022, pretty jam-packed from a, a soccer perspective. And 2023 has a Women's World Cup, a what was it, Confederations Cup, and then obviously the normal club soccer that you expect um, in a compressed schedule. So Lots to look forward to in 2023. And uh, I think Copa America is 2025. I think it's the, or 2024 rather. One of those two. I don't think it's this year. Dude, the thing with the Copa Americas though is that they literally do them like every six months. It's very weird. There's no, there's they just no... sort of pick up and decide. Yeah. Well, the USMNT will be playing in the next Copa America as we sort of hastily figure out where this oh, yeah. will be. Maybe it's the Copa America this year and then. Whatever it is. Point is, international soccer doesn't matter. It's all fake until the World Cup. But uh, 
we uh, figured. Never mind. <laughs> we figured that uh, we may as well start off this year with a sort of general vibe check of the top five leagues because it's been a while. Obviously, you know, previously our our, our last you know seven episodes or so have been World Cup related, uh, as they should be. But since then, you know, the festivities are now over. Club soccer is back underway uh, in most of the leagues. Obviously, Germany, who typically take a full, you know, Christmas break, have continued doing so this year. The Winterpause. Yeah, the Winterpause. They even split up their season into the the first half, the the Hinrunde and the the other Runde. Mm. Thanks, Derek Ray. Uh, but we may as well start off in England. The who, other Runde. Thanks. Well, I forget what it's called. The, oh, the Ruck Runde. Uh, but we may as well start off with England because, you know, I think that's where a lot of our focus lies. And we've already seen now two match weeks since the World Cup break ended. Uh, and the table has Arsenal still on top. Man City, uh, you know, climbing ever closer, followed by Newcastle and then a resurgent Manchester United who have lost just once now in their last 17 games after an FA Cup win today over Everton, despite David De Gea's best efforts. So looking at this table now, we're almost you know, mathematically halfway through the season, what are your guys' you know, big takeaways and big thoughts? Well, I think, statistically speaking, from the position that Arsenal have come into the second half of the season in, they should really be the heavy favorites to clinch that Premier League title, which I know makes you both joyous and anxious to hear Nathan Strauss, and I imagine somewhat uh, even unrealistic to even think about come the beginning of the season. But yes, the focus is back on... Arsenal Football Club, who didn't manage to beat Newcastle at home. I think Nathan has some thoughts about the way Newcastle went about their approach to that game. Perhaps not the best watch. I definitely think in terms of Premier League product, you were seeing a bit of lethargy from these players on the pitch. You're seeing, um, I think, a bit of stop-startedness that I think we all sort of expected coming out of the World Cup, particularly from teams you know, in the middle of the table. I think you're seeing a lot of inconsistency. We can talk about Liverpool, we can talk about Chelsea, who I think are two heavy hitters in the Premier League, who are struggling right now coming out of the World Cup. But yeah, the story of the Premier League right now is whether or not this Arsenal team, which I think we talked about a bit before the break, the fact that players like Martin Erdegaard have come back flying, obviously didn't play in the World Cup with Norway as they were not there. Um, you know, Gabriel Martinelli has come back flying. Bukayo Saka has come back flying. But also the fact that Man City are now only a sneaky five points off the top as well. And are looking quite resurgent in Pep Guardiola's interesting, shall we say, tactical setup to beat Chelsea 1-0 away at Stamford Bridge. But, you know, Caleb, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on the current state of the English the English game at play right now. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think with, with Arsenal, the question was, you know, how would they kick on without Gabriel Jesus, who's out for another two plus months, two and a half months. Um, and, and so far the answer has been like decently, I would say. Um, and Ketia has been pretty good up top. He scored one really nice goal in their first game back. I mean, in general, it seems like Arsenal do have, at least in this starting 11, you know, the resources to continue, you know, putting balls in the back of the net. It does seem like they're in the market for some transfers. I think the big one is, Mudric, Mikhailo Mudric, yeah, Mudric. from from Shakhtar. 
um, who has been liking basically every Arsenal social media post. He liked the really post out that, here. He liked like... the post that said "Free Mudrick." <laughs> <laughs> so I think maybe he wants to go to Arsenal, unless Dario Serna, who is the sporting director of Shakhtar, was actually in attendance at the Chelsea match. Dude, Dario Serna was looking nice too, because I feel like his team made the Champions League every year when he was there, and they would always they were always in Real Madrid's group. <laughs> Well, remember that OG, they were he was the captain of that OG yeah. Croatia team. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. good. So but I, point being, yes. Yeah. So point point being, I think Arsenal are definitely looking to make some moves to shore up this attack. Um, given the absence of, of Jesus and still Emil Smith Rowe, who's he's back in training. He's gonna start on Monday in the FA Cup against Oxford United. So, so. but but so far so good for Arsenal and then you know, City I don't think have really quite got going since the break and i think that is in part due to some interesting tactical tinkering from from guardiola which i can't quite make heads or tails of um you know we were talking yesterday about how Jao Cancelo, who you know pre-world cup was like the best left back and or right back in the world and now has played you know was hauled off at halftime um earlier this week so seemingly in favor of 18 year old upstart rico lewis He's been vigorous. Has been good. really great. Yeah. Pep Grola described him as um, their mini Philip Lom. And so it seems like it might be a long way back for Jacques Cancelo <laughs> into the Man City team. But I think, I think this Guardiola is just like incredibly temperamental in a way I don't really. Well, he's always been very petty, though. Yeah. yeah. Like, no, no, we, we don't know what behind. Yeah. Birthday cake thing. That was like, long before Guardiola, though. Well, right. I guess. Yeah. Right. Good point. No, good shout. For some reason, I think of Man City managers as being. You know, yeah. volatile, but but I so I think I think so far Man City are a little bit getting in their own way. Arsenal are you know doing what they can at the top, and then Newcastle um, I think have maintained their good form. Man, you look pretty formidable at this point. I mean, Casemiro now that he's starting looks really great um, in this team. Marcus Rashford, it's been astounding. Marcus has, Rashford, who, who who was great in the World Cup and probably you know should have played more minutes has scored in basically every game since returning, including, you know, he was left on the bench um, last weekend. Against Wolves. Uh, who are, you know, having their own issues um, because he slept in, although that didn't come out until after the game. And so everyone was like, oh, is he kind of shooting himself in the foot? I think Skulls even said that, you know, on on TV. But then, of course, he came off the bench at halftime for Garnacho to score um, what went on to be the winner, or is it at least the it was opener? The winner. Yeah. Might have been the. It was the winner. It was the, it was the winner. Yeah. Yep. So, man, you for the first time in really a while feel like they actually have some durable form. Yeah, I do think that um, you know, I don't think Arsenal. I know Arsenal are in the lead right now. I don't think they win the league. Because there are still two matches. They have to play United. Uh, they've had to play City twice because their first game got postponed to fit the Europa League game in. That got canceled because uh, of the Queen's death all the way back in was it either September oh or God. October, right? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Feels like so so, so that, that was the game that got moved. So Arsenal, in their next five games, um, have because they get th- they go through to the round of 16 in the Europa League because they do that weird, the, the seeded teams have to play yeah. again or unseeded teams play again. So Arsenal have an FA Cup game in two days, Spurs in the North London Derby, United, Brentford, and City. So after that, if Arsenal still are five points clear, then I would say, okay, like, 
I would feel pretty good. But I do think that like the goal for this season was always top four. And even if after 17 games, if Arsenal don't win the league and if City win the league, I don't think that's like a huge indictment of, of this season. No, but, but I think the, the question certainly is Arsenal have come into the second half of the season in first, right? And it's whether or not they can capitalize on this position. Obviously, we've discussed depth is a big question for them. The, the injury to Gabriel Jesus is huge. We saw that Mikel Arteta didn't really trust his bench against Newcastle. Takahiro Tomiyasu was the only player to come off. You know, Fabio Vieira, who they shilled out about 35 million pounds for over the summer, a young attacker, did not even see the pitch in that game to try and make a difference. I know you were calling on him to come on. We saw Arteta get really rattled in that game against Newcastle, and I think <laughs> there was certainly a sense of a realization, oh, we know where we are now, and there's actually stuff at stake. There's actually you know, a yeah. prize at stake here now. And it's whether or not, you know, this Arsenal team, which is still one of the youngest teams, youngest first 11s in the league, whether they can cope it's with the that youngest, pressure. For, for, it's the youngest level in the league. Yeah. Um, whether they can cope yeah. with that pressure. Because I think you're, you're starting to see that it is sort of, I don't, I never want to say that it's getting to them or it's starting to affect them mentally because you don't really know. But you can at least see, at least from the touchline, Mikel Arteta's perspective, that it's certainly the realization is sort of coming to fruition somewhat. Yeah. And I think a couple of big surprises around the Prem right now in the relegation zone, none of the three promoted teams are there. Fulham find themselves, you know, a, a spot off of a European place right now. Uh, and despite Nottingham Forest having the, and Bournemouth having the, the joint worst uh, goal difference in the league, they find themselves two points clear. It's Everton Wolves and Southampton, which would make Nick's prediction oh, of last year. Dude, I'm pissed. <laughs> yeah, Nick went way out of left field last year, and it ended up costing him, you know, the title basically. In our but now Caleb's gonna win the goddamn title because Southampton are 19th in yours, right? Yeah, but I also picked Liverpool to win the league this year. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, so I guess true. so. There are a couple of so obviously, you know, there, there's there's still plenty of time for the law of averages to to, to play out here. But as the relegation fight stands right now. There's a big gap between Leicester in 13th and Palace in 12th. And there's five points that separates Leicester in 13th from Saints in 20th, with all of those teams, barring Leeds, having played 18 games. So if you had to pick three teams right now of those bottom eight to go down, knowing the transfers that Southampton have made, they just brought in Orsic from, from Dinamo Zagreb, who has been scoring bangers like all over the place in the last 18 months. And they're also signing Terra Mafia, apparently, from, from Lorient because they can't score goals, so they sign a striker. And obviously, Wolves have a new manager. Everton have neither new transfers nor a new manager. What, which of these you know, teams are, are going down? Um, I, think, I think Southampton's transfers won't, won't save them because I think, more than anything, they need to find a new manager, and I don't think bringing in some solid attackers that will need to play in, you know, a new league is really going to, you know, fix them. And also the defense has been, frankly, I mean, their offense has been anemic, but their defense has been very porous. So I think, and, and they're recalling um, that center back from Aston Villa, who they oh, loaned yeah, out. Bednarek. Bednarek, who left the club after like publicly crapping on them. And it's so, like, that's their solution to their defensive is to bring like a hated player back in. It's not looking good for a Southampton team. That's been trending down for, you know, 
frankly, like almost half a decade <laughs> That we now. have all collectively <laughs> yeah. assumed is trending yeah. down for quite a while. And then Wolves just simply can't score. score. I mean, we, we saw this project going deeply downhill, but, you know, they have like, what, a 35 or 36-year-old Diego <laughs> Costa up front who has not scored yet. Not that I blame him. Once again, he's like, he hasn't been prolific for a while. No, the horse placenta was really the last time. No. And so then that's that's my second pick because they have an even worse offense. Even with Julian Lopetegui, in and charge. they just brought in Mateus Cunha from Atlético. I mean, at this point, like, how good is Cunha? Like, I, it's hard to once again, and he's also not that prolific. You know, I like, just think like I, you, yeah. you, their you, best goal scorer is Ait Nori, and he plays left wing. No, back, like, you so just, like I, I just feel like the solution to like a scoring problem isn't to bring in a like solid technical Brazilian player. Like, you you need like a slab head. You need Chris Wood, which no, is basically, which is yeah. he basically saved Burnley two years in a row from. That's what I mean. Like you, like the, you, you, like it's it's too aesthetic. No, Allardyce. Yeah, that's why Allardyce was always effective. But also, Wolves continue to play three at the back and have yeah. always played three at the back since getting promoted, and it hasn't worked since their first year when they finished. What did they finish like ninth? Or yeah, eighth? and so and it's been downhill from there. So yeah. that's second, and then third. Oh, you know, is it Forest? Is it Bournemouth? Those are probably my picks but i think it's gonna be nottingham forest i think you you can't bring in like 25 new players and expect it to work out um like this is a team that's way worse than the sum of its parts (laughs) um it just it just simply is and then i think the other teams around there like bournemouth will squeak through west ham are playing so below their ability like at some point it will normalize because they're just simply too good to be doing this poorly and then like i guess the toss-up for me is like everton that like really seem bereft of like anything other than you know moments of brilliance from Demarai gray every like once a month and that's simply like not enough to get you 38 points i think they're going down you i, think they I are? genuinely think they're going down especially if they keep because I, I think now it's clear that the issue is not all the managers that they brought in like the carousel yeah, clearly yeah. hasn't worked and you know we've bemoaned frank lampard yeah. i've bemoaned frank lampard on this podcast countless times he's clearly I don't want to, he's clearly not up to the task, but I don't think it's, it's entirely on him. Well, he is a championship manager. Well, right. Yeah. So, yeah. I know. No. So if they go down, maybe they should keep him. But the, the vibes at Everton are once again, hor- horrendous. <laughs> they had the loudest boo against Brighton when they went down four nil at home that I've ever heard from any Premier League stadium. Just the boo that went around the ground. It's really hard to boo collectively, like as a group, when you concede a goal. Like, it's really easy to cheer collectively when you score a goal. Really a different thing to, like, collectively boo when you concede a goal. And that's what happened at Goodison Park the other day. I just think, you know, they lost terribly today to Man United in a joke of a game where Connor Cor- when Connor Cody scored at both ends of the pitch. Um, again, like you said, Caleb, like, their offense is bereft. Dominic Calvert-Lewin can't seem to stay fit um, to contribute really anything today. Today he had a goal chalked off. But, you know, he only played about 30-ish minutes or so. It's, you know, whether or not he can play, like, a, you know, full rest of the season is yet to be seen. Uh, their transfers are nonsensical. <laughs> I think we've established that they really don't seem to support them. Abadou Onana looked like a relatively decent transfer. Now I'm not entirely sure whether he's fit, you know, what the issue is. And they lost Awobi today to an injury. And right. he's probably been their best player this year playing the center midfielder. Center mid, so. Yeah, he's been good at center mid, but yeah. I'm just not convinced. I think the vibes are really awful right now. I think uh, Southampton go down. I agree that the transfers aren't good enough. Nathan Jones 
is completely out of his depth at the managerial level in the Premier League. I think they probably stay rooted to the bottom of the table. I think Julian Lopetegui is a good enough manager to get something out of that Wolves team. And the question is, you know, whether or not Bournemouth or Nottingham Forest get dragged back into it for me. Hopefully, for my Premier League predictions, Nottingham Forest do find a way to stay up. And it is, you know, sorry, Bournemouth. It is Bournemouth who get dragged back into this relegation battle. But I agree on West Ham, too. I think they're too good. And David Moyes is too experienced. West Ham is definitely definitely too good. Um, I I think Leeds and Leicester are probably both safe, even if Leicester, I think, are probably the biggest disappointment of any team this year so far, just based on where they had been the last four or so years. Yeah, but, but there, there are rumors that their their defense is going to get even more eaten up. Like, Soyuncu is supposedly on his way to Atleti. Atleti. So, and about phase, let me tell you. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the, the, the best, the first brace of the post-World Cup, uh, you know, Premier League era went in his own net. <laughs> Won the game. Won the game. Not for the team that he was playing for. Yeah, bless you. Yeah. It is funny, though, looking at all of these bad teams, and Nick, this is not a slight of you, but it is funny how all of these I bad teams have, like, either beaten Liverpool this year or, like, drawn with Liverpool this year. Like, Everton drew City and drew Liverpool, and other than that, they've lost to, like, everyone. Um, Leicester looked like... Leicester scored first. Um, it's not hard to score first against Liverpool. Yeah, but I do but, think... Uh, I think I think Wolves, Southampton, and... Bournemouth go down. I think Forest stay up just because eventually they'll find one of their many possible starting 11s and it'll it'll work. I guess in terms of other teams to talk about, just briefly, Chelsea in 10th right now and Spurs in 5th, but with Conte publicly saying that his team is shit for what seems they like did, the fifth time. They did beat Crystal Palace for 4-0 or 4-1 yeah. the other day and it looked like a very it was a very complete performance. And so clearly, like, the talent is there in the Spurs team, and I think they're going to be... The know, talent is there for what eventual position, though? I think fourth. I think you they think they can overtake United, or do you think Newcastle drop off? I think... Well, that's the question, right? Is either, I think... I think it's more likely that Newcastle drop off than United drop off. I just... I do think that Spurs have to be active in this transfer window, because we've seen Conte walk, right? It is not unknown... Conte to get tired of a project and for him to well, I think, walk out of I a think, job. I think I think Conte is going to leave at the end of the season because I think it's clear like the best player on this team is Harry Kane and he's not getting younger. I mean Son has really not shown close to the form he showed. And he's also the last year. Son's thirty now. Or yeah, 30 I was saying they're both thirty. Yeah. I mean, like what's hurt them a bit is they've missed you know both Richarlison and Kulishevsky for like pretty large stretches of this season combined and they don't have a lot of offensive depth beyond that i mean like brian heel <laughs> is like not favored at he all scored against but he's playing out of necessity but, but he's playing out of necessity and like i was surprised he was still like in the squad for this season like i thought they would like bin him off back on loan to like valencia or something like that so i don't think there's much of a project here because there's not that much growth potential in this team. And so if they finish fourth or perhaps slightly more likely, you know, fifth or even sixth this year, I'm not sure what keeps someone like Conte around who really does two year stints where he wins a league title and maybe a cup. So I think there's that, I guess other teams would briefly talk about Liverpool are 
bringing in players like Cody Gakpo, who we'll see how he does. They're also losing other Dutchmen at the other end with Van Dyke out for, you know, a month plus. Uh, the Liverpool season continues to remain um, up, up a and disaster. down. It's, no, it's, it's been a disaster. Yeah. It's a disaster on multiple levels, including during the World Cup where we learn that Julian Ward, the sporting director who was appointed at the end of last season, will be leaving at the end of this season. So Liverpool are in a position of trying to, you know, hire a new... Uh, sporting director. It seems like a lot of their backroom staff, uh, their physios are leaving as well. They hired, as they're selling the club. As they're, you know, FSG is looking to either get significant investment and or turn over the asset uh, to someone else. It just, it, it seems like Jurgen Klopp is relinquishing a lot of power to um, his uh, assistants as well in terms of the transfer market, in terms of finding players. It's just, it, the structure of power seems to be really in the balance at Liverpool, and I think it's starting to affect the way that they produce results on the pitch. Uh, they're highly inconsistent. They've conceded 51 big chances at the back this season, Oof. which is double the amount of the five teams in front of them, um, you know, City through Arsenal, United, Spurs, and Newcastle. Um, so that's, you know, really horrific to see <laughs> if you're trying to theoretically compete for a Premier League or even a top four place. Jurgen Klopp, in his press conference today, you know, talking about Cody Gakpo coming in, admitted that it was going to be a hard job for them to try and overcome the gap and achieve fourth with the way that they're playing. So hopefully Gakpo hits the ground running and is able to produce some of the goods. Darwin Nunes con- continues to be a huge question mark. You know, he's produced goals and assists this season and has played very well off the ball. You know, Caleb sending that really funny <laughs> <laughs> video about like what Liverpool fans consider to be a success. Oh, Darwin Nunes, this, you know, maybe didn't score, but you know, he contributed. You know, off the ball runs X Y Z. Darwin Nunes is seventh in the league in expected goals, uh, for the record. And in terms of actual goals, he is. He scored like six. Yeah, he's tied for twenty first. Yeah. I mean, which isn't terrible for his first season, but definitely not what you'd expect from a 70 million pound player. Yeah. It was more of a commentary on, I think, the rhetoric online where it's like, well, he's getting in good positions, therefore he is the answer to Erling Holland. No, I mean, okay, so he, the problem... Not, you're not guilty of that, to be, to be clear. No, and I think the jury is still out on Darwin Nunez, and he's coming in at a very tough time for the club, but obviously a transitional period where this team, you don't want to talk about teams not getting any younger, this team is not getting any younger. This, the, the bulk of this team is approaching their late 20s and or 30s. You know, Thiago is 31 now. Virgil van Dijk is approaching his 30s. Mohamed Salah signed a new contract at the beginning of the season. You know, is now, you know, approaching his 30s in his 30s. Berta Firmino, his contract expiring at the end of the season. Looks like Nabi Keita is going to be walking at the end of the season. So there's questions all over the pitch for this Liverpool team, particularly in midfield, where it seems like Fabinho is not, as Carl Anka said on Twitter, he's not Fabinhoing as well as he used to. So there's just a lot of longevity questions with this Liverpool team, but it seems like we have hit the end of an era somewhat. You know, there's talk of Enzo Fernandez and or Jude Bellingham coming in. I don't see how either of those come in or work out if we don't finish in the Champions League positions, unless FSG, you know, shills out some of that Rafael Devers money to uh, Liverpool over the summer. But yeah, a lot of questions, and this season has definitely been you know, disastrous in the product. The, the worrying thing is that Liverpool are boring and concede a lot of goals. So hopefully that changes in the near future, but definitely a lot of uncertainty and questions surrounding them right now. Last team in the Prem, 
Uh, Chelsea, two wins, one draw, seven losses in their last 10 games across Champions League and the Prem. Obviously, Graham Potter had time to work with this team during the World Cup break, but it seems like another uh, directionless team that is making directionless transfers right now. And I just do not understand why the the, the players who are, who are being brought in right now are the ones being brought in for a team with like three glaring holes. They're like reinforcing the only area of their squad that's strong. I, I'm not really sure on that. I think the biggest indicator that things are going wrong at Chelsea are the substitutions that Graham Potter decided to enact in the second half of the game against City, where, you know, he subbed on Aubameyang for Sterling, who who got injured in the first, like, five minutes of the game, and then in, like, the 65th minute, proceeded to sub him off for Omari Hutchinson, who is a youth player that they signed from Arsenal on a free at the beginning of the season. Uh, Carney Chukomeka came on, and I thought was their best player on the pitch uh, throughout the entirety of the rest of the game, and also Lewis Hall, who is, like, an 18-year-old left-back, left-wing-back prospect. And if you're managing a team like Chelsea, who Todd Bowley has not been, um, you know, who's not been skirting around, spending a lot of money, you know, he's been quite cavalier in the transfer market, and your answer is to bring on three, like, unproven, quote-unquote, players, I think that clearly is setting a message that, you know, recruitment needs to be a little better, and that there, there might not be much of a direction at the moment. And I think it was a stark contrast, where you look at Man City, who very categorically have said Rico Lewis is the youth player that we're working on right now. And if you're Chelsea, it's like, we're going to bring on these three kids. And Dude, see how if, bad did Omari Hutchinson look, by the way? We're, we're going to bring on these three kids yeah. and see if they can do something against the best squad in the league. And I think if you're Chelsea Football Club and you're spending, you know, they spent a lot of money on Benoit Badiashile from Monaco this week. And like Nathan was saying, like, that's a big, huge concern for Graham Potter. Yeah, and they just signed Koulibaly in the summer, which is what I don't get as well. And, and, Fofana. and, and Fofana and Kukurea, who's been playing as a left back rather than a left wing back, and none of them look very good. Yeah, I mean, I think part of the issue, well, I think a lot of Chelsea's form took a turn for the worse as soon as Reese James was injured, you know? Well, and Mason Mounser, too. Yeah, but like, you know, like months ago now. And I think there was a hope that post-World Cup, Reese James would be fit and firing, and he lasted, what, like 35 minutes um, before getting injured again? I think, unfortunately, this Chelsea team is deeply unbalanced, you know, in part by not having a real striker, which, you know, definitely helps other teams play you. It's definitely not pure Emmerich Aubameyang. Yeah, um, but he's also just had so many injuries throughout this team that it's, like, really tough. Um, I mean, currently, Chilwell, Reese James... Fafana, Angolo Conte, Loftus Cheek, Mason Mount. In this game, this past game against City, Sterling and Pulisic both went off. Broja's off now. I think, you know, right now their team lacks a little bit of depth in part because they're missing like 10 first team players and that can't help. But I do think it's certainly, you know, the worst possible start to the first season under new ownership. And, you know, the only person who's probably feeling very smug right now is like Tuchel. Thomas Tuchel. Right? Yeah. Who in a lot of ways is probably like, thank God I'm not dealing with this right now. Well, I guess he's like in India, oh, like gallivanting around. That's like what I've seen on social media is that like he's in Kerala and like visiting all these like Indian The new Kerala clubs. blasters. I was going to say, Thomas, yeah. Tuchel. <laughs> Thomas Tuchel's for the culture. Yeah, I was going to say. So I guess, I guess 
Chelsea are in a tough spot because they're spending money and getting nothing for it. And I don't see Which is, it. in many ways, the Chelsea way and sure. has been for the last 15 years. Yeah, but they've won Premier League correct. with that approach. Correct. It feels, well, it just feels very football manager-esque, like the approach right now. Yeah. And it just seems like sign, sign like wonder kids that we think could probably like produce the goods and that maybe we can develop, you know, sign like... Like, we can do it without a striker. We can bring in, like, an aging Aubameyang and, like, sure up shop for, like, a year. Like, maybe he can produce the goods while we, like, wait on Lukaku to come back. Or, like, see, like mend that bridge or, like, buy someone else. You know, buy, like, Conchalo Ramos or something like that. Yeah. It just seems like there's a very scattershot approach from Todd Bowley, both in, in terms of recruitment and, I think, in terms of coaching, too. Because I don't think Graham Potter right now is set up in best position to do what he is capable of doing, which is, you know, develop a team from scratch. Well, with all of that being said, Premier League action continues next week. This is an FA Cup weekend. Actually, I think Premier League action, yeah, it's next It's next week. They get The midweek is off for the first time in a little while. Um, but we may as well move on to another league, uh, Spain, where Barcelona and Madrid are tied atop the table right now. Um, Madrid, both of these teams have returners from the World Cup uh, that have, that didn't play in the first match week back when Barcelona drew with Espanyol. Uh, Barcelona then... <laughs> what the hell was Barcelona this? then <laughs> almost lost to a team that I had never even heard of. CF Intercity. I, so I feel like I know a lot of Spanish lower division teams. I used to have a Lieda Esportiu mm-hmm. um, sure. football manager career mode on my desktop. Um, but I had never seen... I never heard of this team uh, until some random Catalan dude dropped a hattie on Barcelona who are uh, 16th in the Primera Federación Group 2. Yeah, well, so they're in the th- fourth tier. They're I, in the second no, group of the third tier. The third tier oh, is sorry. split into... Yeah, yeah, so they're in the third tier, um, but they're, they're bad they're in the, the third tier. Zone. Yeah, they're in the relegation zone <laughs> of the third tier. So they're like... Well, also, the guy that, that scored, uh, Soldevia, is a former... Bar- he's 21 now, but he was a Barcelona U19 player who was released... He then went to Birmingham City, where he was released from their U23 team. <laughs> yeah, and you know what they say. If you can't make it at Birmingham, there's a place for you at yeah. CF Intercity. No, no, I mean, <laughs> I think it's it's fair to say that Barcelona's return from the World Cup break has been underwhelming. Um, mostly due to Marcus Alonso, uh, who, <laughs> who continues... Who's pulling an anti-Luke Shaw at the moment at he, left side center back. Yeah, left side center back. He might be one of the least athletic players I've ever seen play a sport. <laughs> like, any sport. Um, like, he he scored our only goal against Espanyol in a game that Mateo Laos um, completely lost control of um, in what is becoming a, you know, common occurrence. He has now, thankfully, announced that he's retiring, which you could hear the, like, like the kind of, like, release... From you heard all of these a choir of angels singing yeah. in the background. There's gonna be babies born in nine months. No, no, there was <laughs> no when when it was announced. You know, I I had to stop for a moment working because I just there was this heavenly light that shot Hooray. down. <laughs> and I said, lights. I said, what is this? What is this? The sun shined for the first time. No, I know. Well, I was like, I was spiritual things are happening. I mean, I was in Rome when Pope Benedict died, so I'm prepared for shit like that. Um, and. <laughs> Caleb brings it with him. <laughs> and whatever. So we, a b- bad game against uh, Espanyol, where then Marcus Alonso 
due to his lack of athleticism, accidentally tackled a man when the ball was like two feet not his first above accident. his head. Yikes. Um, <laughs> then in this game against Intercity, we can't get the job done. It goes to extra time. We eventually win 3-4. We, we desperately need, you know, a good result this weekend. When do, who do we play? At against Letty. At yeah. Letty. Mind you, we now are also without Lewandowski because that was the they, whole they other upheld, thing. They upheld his ban for... Yes, yeah, so after being weirdly able to play against... Espanol, despite the fact that he should have been suspended because his suspension was <laughs> under review, he's now the suspension has been upheld and he now misses at Letty. So I think you know we play at Letty and then Betis um, in a in a very busy January. We desperately need a result against at Letty because we are tied with with Madrid right now, and you know as it stands. Um, we just don't look all that good. Even though we have everyone fit for basically the first time this season. Um, so we'll see. Where are you at right now? Because I think we're either approaching a year of Xavi at Barcelona or have we, we've passed a year, a year of yeah. Xavi at Barcelona. Yeah. Where are you at in terms of you know, the Xavi project right now and your impressions of him as a coach? Because I'm still getting a sense that it's quite inconsistent, the tactics under him right now. I think it's inconsistent. I think the issue has been this season. Like, weirdly, we have a very good defensive record in La Liga, even though we had a terrible defensive record in the Champions League. Um, but we've missed, you know, Araujo and Kunde for large portions of the season. Luckily, they're back now. Um, I do still think the squad isn't exactly where we want it. We still don't really have a right back. Like, Bellerin has not worked mm. out. Yeah. Um, Lewandowski has been good. I think the big question for this team is like, who is going to be, you know, the, the left winger, you know, I think Fati, he scored the winner against intercity, but, um, I don't think he's really, you know, he's 20 now. I don't think he's really recaptured his, you know, form from when he was 17, which is not, you know, he's suffered horrific yeah. injury. After no, I know. I, I'm, I'm just saying it's like, yeah. it's kind of like he's fit now. Like it's time to kick on or not. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Rafinha's not been great. Um, I think Ferran Torres hasn't shown, you know, you know, a killer touch. And so I think Xavi does need to win something this year. Um, and right now, I'm not sure we're going to. It might honestly come down to something like a Classico, you know, in the spring. Um, but I still don't feel like this team is playing with you know, the confidence of a squad that on paper is as talented as it is. And maybe you would say, like, the Europa League could be a focus for this team, but unfortunately they come up against... No, man, you were going to wipe the floor with us. You know, before before the World Cup, I would have said, like, oh, no, like, we got this. But, like, Rashford is, like, who I want as, like, Barcelona's, like, left winger right now. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, so I'm not feeling very confident in that. So it's not, it's not looking great for well, Xavi right now. You know where... At least uh, you're not playing Real Madrid in your European knockout phase That's round. true. That's <laughs> true. I, I guess the other, the biggest surprise My story... My team is playing Real Madrid. Yes. Thank you. For context. Um, I think the biggest surprise in La Liga has probably been Sevilla, who despite now... The crap. Uh, well, they've now won three straight games. Oh, although no two of them, crap. Two of them were against teams named Juventud... Jorge Molinos and Linares Deportivo. 
Um, they did draw with a, a la- elite equalizer against Celta Vigo, but they're second from the bottom right now. Uh, eight points ahead of last place Elche, who are winless right now <laughs> oh, boy. because they're not only winless right now, they are also now down their their star, their striker because oh, yeah. Lucas Perez, Arsenal legend Lucas Perez, oh, decided to pay, decided to, to buy out his either. own. He bought out his own contract to go play for free for Deportivo La Coruña, which honestly is a real baller move for a guy who's like in his mid thirties and didn't want to see his hometown club suffer in the third division, but. Elche are definitely going down. You can't come back from having four points after New Year's. Um, but Sevilla, new manager, no Isco, who they released new on a free. New old manager, though. Yeah, new... some, some Pauli is back. Yeah, it's a bit of, it's a bit of eternal his... recurrence. I think they'll um... probably survive, but definitely a, a surprise given, um, you know, Casper Dolberg, who was there, For a is no longer there. Um, he... I think that's the that's the criticism, though, of Sevilla, right, is that all of these astute transfers that we praise them for making know in the late 2010s early 2020 ish have sort of run dry somewhat the recruitment has been way more scattershot than we've been accustomed to seeing i think they've had a lot of turnover like you said nathan you know players coming in and out of the door they're a lot more reliant on like the eric lamellas of the world you know alex tellas you know really players who are operating on like name brand value alone to deliver the goods and that's never going to get you anywhere when it comes to team cohesion and such you know lapatahui uh, who is a real successful coach for them, winning the Europa League, jumped ship um, to go to Wolves, or they sacked him, rather. And now it's Sampali is back again, and we'll see what he can do. Um, I'm not super convinced that they're going to achieve much this season. It would be shocking, shocking if they went down, just considering their pedigree, but you know, it's not looking terrific right now. Yeah, that's probably the, those are probably the major stories. Uh, Real Madrid obviously signed Endrick, who won't be able to, to come to Europe for two and a half more years. Who is Endrick? Is he he's a SoundCloud rapper? <laughs> no, he's a 16-year-old. He's like the... Yeah, he's for Palmeiras. He's, you know, supposed to be the next Pele. Uh, but they signed oh, him... How many times have we heard that one before? But he, they signed him for 62, <laughs> 62 million uh, is the transfer fee. But otherwise, La Liga yeah. is typically pretty quiet in January. Is just that because legal? Could they do that? Well, no, well, they no, can't well, until they, he until he's eighteen. He, he signed a contract that remember Neymar Neymar couldn't yeah, yeah, come yeah. over. Well, and Vinicius uh, too. They signed a news fifty. And Rodrigo, yeah. um, Rodrigo goes not to Brazil until he's eighteen. Um, but typically, La Liga is pretty quiet in January just because they don't have the the money that the Prem has. Um, so probably not going to see that many, you know, reinforcements coming into any of these teams. Atleti seem to have figured out a little bit of what's been ailing them. Uh, Joao Felix continues to be linked with a move away, but I think he sounds like he's probably going to move. Yeah, Arsenal or Chelsea seems to be the yeah, yeah, or United seems to be the. uh, I would take all bad moves for him. (laughs) I would take it. You take Joao Felix. I take Joao Felix on loan with like a sixty mil, you know. But to play where striker? We don't have a striker. He's not a striker. Well, that's the issue is that United want him to play forward as like a striker. As well, well, if you want to play, if you want to buy a winger to play as a striker, United is the place to go because every single striker they purchase. I feel like um, he is a classic <laughs> deadline day move for a team like Chelsea. It screams when Mar- it's Maurizio Sarri was at Chelsea and brought in Higuain. Yeah, that know, was wild. And then he played like in eight, January. He played like eight games and then dipped. Yep. I don't think he scored for them. Or uh, didn't Falcao wind up at Chelsea? For... He did, yeah, under Mourinho. And Eto, like, oh god, Eto uh, scored goals though. Kind of. Uh, 
Yeah, I don't think he should yeah. go. Well, to any of those teams. <laughs> yeah. The problem is he's like a, a, a ball-playing, a ball-dominant winger who's been playing as a striker in a front two, not really scoring. He's like if Rafael Leao were bad. He played well at the World Cup, Joe Felix. He's fine at the World Cup. No, I thought he's. I thought he's good at. The, I. I just think. I don't think Letty is fitting him right now. Certainly, and it seems like Simeone is that that relationship is totally yeah, fractured. But I, he needs to go somewhere where they don't expect him to just be like leading the line because that's not him. And he's also like twenty three now, and he just needs to go somewhere where he can score ten goals in the second half of the season because next year he's going to be twenty four, and we're going to be like. He's just kind the of train fine. Is, you know, left the station. He's fine. Yeah. He would be, hear me out, he'd be a really good signing for Jose Mourinho's Roma team. Oh, I love a bit they of that. They already have Dibola. They do, Dibola. Yeah, I know, but he would still be, dude, Serie A teams typically have, okay, we have to move on to Serie A. Roma, Serie, Roma. A Serie A teams, for whatever reason, have a squad that is like three times bigger than your average, like, Well, but squad. Roma in particular have like the largest yeah. well, squad Roma in Roma have basically, well, it's no secret, Roma are basically the Sevilla of, or have been operating like the yeah. Sevilla of Italy in that they sign sort of lapsed A minus list wonder kids and then just keep playing them. Um, but, Right now, Serie A, the vibes are still pretty good for for Napoli. Uh, Not really. Inter, they just got beat by Inter. The yeah, vibes are first, the vibes are still the yeah, but the vibes are still pretty good for Napoli. I mean, yeah. I watched I watched that game two days ago. It was okay. They're they right. They're yeah. still top of the table, five points clear of AC Milan. They had a great drama. Didn't, they didn't lose anyone to the World Cup. No, too, yeah. no, which is important. Like Georgia they lost. weren't at the World Cup. No, Georgia, <laughs> you know, you know, there was no Ni- Nigeria. Nigeria <laughs> crashed out of the final qualifying stages as well. So Aussie yeah. man was able to recover. Um, Juventus. You know. Somehow our third. Dude, the Juventus lineup that they put out yesterday but, but, was actually missed. Dude, they keep winning though, because they keep winning. They get like they get ninety eighth minute winners. Yeah, dude, after, like but three their, times their a year. lineup against was it Cremonense was. Uh, Mer- I, they had Moretti. They had some dude I'd never heard of at right center back. Um, uh, the Gatti. He's twenty four yeah. years old though, or twenty three years old. And yeah, I, and but that's that's the Italian way because they just they 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 keep all these people. In their squad. <laughs> and yeah. Caleb would know a thing or two about the Italian. Do you remember, you guys yeah. remember Daniele Rugani? Yeah. 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 Dude, he signed, my, he signed my Juve kit when we were at uh, Gillette Stadium back for that pregame yeah. tour. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Which makes it actually lose value. <laughs> it's worth less <laughs> now. Where is Rugani now, actually? I think he plays in France. Yeah. I think he plays for Nice. Yeah. Am I making that up? That no, can't I don't think you're right. making that up. No, hang on. I'm going to look it up. That sounds right. No, because it's somewhere right. like random. It's somewhere random. Because I remember it was a, it was a day where I was like, "Oh my god, he finally left Juventus." He still plays at Juventus. No, he does not. Oh, he he, still plays he, at Juventus. he was on loan at Ren from and then in in twenty for, for for the first half of the twenty 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 one. He made two season. appearances for Ren too. <laughs> and then he was on loan at Cagliari. That makes sense. for the second half of last season. Uh, he last played a Serie A match for Juventus in. October, he played, he started against Empoli. Dude, he's just one of those players. He's kind of like the Mark Bartra of Juventus. Yes. Except yeah, he except never Mark realized... Bartra was Mark Bartra had a much higher floor except until Gareth Bale murdered him. No, 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 I'm just saying, I, I think Rugani just didn't realize that, like, he's not quite good enough to be a starting center back on, like, the top team. And he should have moved to, like, the fifth place team. You know what I mean? Roma. That's why, like, Mark Bartra at Betis 
made so much yeah, sense. Yeah, or Rugani in a back three at Atalanta Mark Bartra, or who now plays in Turkey. In Turkey, right? He just signed there. Yeah. But Bartra will look back at his career and think, I won mad stuff at Barcelona as like a 18 no, no, to 20 he, year old. He, then he went to Dortmund, had stuff happen in Dortmund. I think he won a DFB Pokal there. Yeah, and then he was f- pretty good at no, no, Betis. No, that's yeah. Like, but that's the thing. He had a yeah. good career. Yeah. And, and Rugani, and Rugani plays, he's 28 now, and he's like somehow. He's like the eighth choice center back. He's below Gatti. Who's Gotti? Yo Gotti. Yo Gotti. <laughs> Speaking of SoundCloud, SoundCloud rappers, <laughs> it all comes. It all comes full circle, right? Um, um, so that's yeah. That's Syria. I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, there are six teams that are good, six teams that are okay, and then the rest of the league is pretty bad. Well, yeah, I think the big um, news that broke out of Syria today was the passing of Gianluca Vialli, who. You know, he's a he's in the top ten all time of uh, Italian goal scorers in the country, which I didn't yeah. realize. I wouldn't you know, I wouldn't have guessed. A huge deal for the Premier League. He was one of the first international players that Chelsea signed. You know, in the nineties, if you go to Stamford Bridge, like he is one of their like players who is outside who they highlight on their wall, and like was a big part of the Italy Euro campaign. He was uh, a coach that was brought back in by, um, oh my God, I'm forgetting his name, Mancini. He was brought back in by Mancini and like famously like missed the bus on their opening game against Turkey, which they won, and then they made him, they made Viali be late to the bus for every single game en route to, like, winning the trophy, so he became kind of their good luck charm. As Nathan said, you know, a huge, impactful player in Serie A in the 90s, and, you know, that's the big news, I feel. Yeah, and he, and he died young, too, like, mm-hmm. under the age of 60, so right. sad loss there. Uh, but with that being said, Serie A continues to be probably the most chaotic and close league um, of them all, a league that is not close or chaotic is league uh, where you know we would have been able to. It's tell chaotic you. and close. It's, chaotic it's not chaotic and close. It's not chaotic. What and are you close. talking about? Lens? This lens are not serious challenges for PSG. Dude, how dare you? PSG have dropped a couple. PSG have played below par without Messi. Nathan, we got to sell the narrative to the public. There is no narrative here. I love lens. You know who has the best defense in France? Lens. You know the. Second best defense? PSG. Yeah, but Lens have a better defense. So. Yeah, but that's because PSG are starting 16-year-old El Chiari Biachisbu. <laughs> I'm not even joking. Look at who PSG started. I'm not joking. <laughs> you just said that like it was a made-up name. <laughs> I'm being completely serious. They started El Chiari Biachisbu, right? I don't... I, I guess you have to confirm this for yourself. Okay. I this. Okay, but no, I mean, no, you're right in that PSG at some point are going to turn on the afterburners. However, they are sort of their own worst enemy. Like, you have Neymar coming back from the World Cup, presumably wanting to, you know, put all of his negative energy into the game. Uh, El Chadai Bichiabu. Okay, I believe you. Whatever. But then, then of course, you know, Neymar gets a second yellow for diving. And so I do think to some extent, like, the offense is so set in this PSG team that like the more they miss those players, it does open little opportunities. Right. But lens are only four points off. And the question is, you know, Leo Messi is back in training at PSG today, but Messi is like completed football. You know, he was like cutting cakes in, you know, Buenos Aires city center, you know, going to big dinners. Yeah, But we forget that Messi's best season of his career came when he was like 10 pounds overweight. Right, but my point is, like, how focused, and, you know, this is not for me to say how focused, yeah. you know, the greatest player of all time is going to be coming into the second half of the season. Yeah, but I think it's the question, But right? that's the question. Is yeah. like, the narrative has been finished. You know, Messi has won the World Cup. 
what else does he really need to do I guess with the, his PSG team? Yeah, other I mean, than, the, you know, win the Champions League. Right. I think the argument for him being focused is that, you know, we expected him, sort of independent of the World Cup, to sign for an MLS side. And it now sounds like he is close to signing a one-year extension on his PSG deal. And so that would put points in the, like, he's ready to now play as the, like, the king guy. of soccer. And he's just like, you know, get out of my way. So I think I could see it cutting both ways, and I think we'll just have to kind of... But you forget that four points, four point, a four-point advantage for PSG in Ligue 1 is like... Like a 16-point like advantage. Yeah. True, what else? And yeah, normally PSG have won the league by now. So I guess credit to, to Lens for pushing them closer than any other team bar Monaco. Right. But No, and it says a lot that like the second-place team in Lyon is long. Yeah. That, you know, like... Dude... Fofana, who actually have lost a lot of, you know, the key people who made them who they are to Nice over the 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 World Cup break. So like their sporting directors, some of their coaches have gone over to Nice. Uh, they're left with like their manager, who is you know a pretty, pretty prodigious figure in French football. But a lot of like the integral structure who have made that Lens project what it is have recently departed the club. My favorite, my two favorite players on Lens are Fofana, who's sick in midfield. He should go, he's worth like 25 million, but he signed a huge extension this last offseason. And Premislaw Frankowski, who was signed from uh, the Chicago Fire, mm. who was like nasty And also Openda. Oh, Ike Openda, former uh, Chelsea wonder kid? And I, don't, I don't know if it was Chelsea, but definitely a player that I signed on FIFA. Because he was just an absolute he's, he's, he's Belgian, right? Yeah. He's, uh, let's see. But he has I, eight goals in Liga. Let's see. I, I, I'm almost positive he was a... No, you know what? I was wrong. He was a, a Club Bruges to Vitesse yeah. to... Oh, you oh, know what? Is, is the Vitesse. It's the Vitesse thing. I think I must have just assumed You're young like, player it's a Vitesse. Vitesse. Vitesse, it must yeah. be. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Vitesse. Um, but yeah, so that's that's France right now. Uh, Bundesliga? Yeah, Bundesliga watch. Caleb. <laughs> The Bundesliga, they're not bowling, they're not playing right now. The Bundesliga watch, I mean, so keep in mind. There's nothing to watch. There's nothing to watch. Yeah, so there's, there's still 23 matches remaining in the oh, Bundesliga. God. So they're basically a, th- a little more than a third of the way done with their season. Guys, there's so it's much soccer over. left. It's ridiculous. I'm, I'm actually kind of like, I don't know, I'm already like tired. No, we can talk about this. I think it's yeah, a important yeah. thing to but, talk about. But, but first, um, speaking of teams with a four-point gap, Bayern Munich are in first with 34 points with a goal differential of 36. Bloody hell. Meanwhile, you couldn't get to 36 if you added the positive goal differences of the second place team, third place team, fourth place team, fifth place. You'd have to add the goal differences of teams two through six to get to what Bayern have done so far. Um, even though I don't think they were playing particularly good soccer, it was clearly effective enough. Uh, Freiburg find themselves in second place, four points off the pace. <laughs> then it's Leipzig, Frankfurt, Union Berlin, who have sort of, you know, returned back to earth after a, a, an awesome start. Uh, and then Dortmund in sixth. Uh, that's sort of the Bundesliga right now. I think it's, you know, Bayern's to lose once more, despite what we Stunning. would have wanted. Yeah, shocking. I'll tell you. Yeah, I feel very vindicated right now. Even <laughs> There's still a lot of time to play. <laughs> Which, of course, means that, like, some shit's going to go down. Freiburg are going to surge up the table. Um, yeah, so I think those are the leagues. I guess, do we want to do the quick 
hit stories? Or... Yeah, quick hit stories. We'll start off with a fun one. Ronaldo going out super sad after no team in Europe wanted to pay him a billion hey, he, gajillion he, dollars. He, he, he claims um, <laughs> he claims that there are teams as far reaching as Australia and the United States. Well, supposedly you, you heard Portugal. the, yeah, the leading in Kansas City. Dude, can you imagine <laughs> Ronaldo living in Kansas yeah. City? Dude, so the, the story is that uh, <laughs> well, the discovery the rights. discovery rights, which such a dumb thing, that which happened MLS, which is the really antiquated way that MLS allocates, you know, like finding foreign stars, quote unquote, to bring to your club. Like the discovery rights belong to Sporting Kansas City. How did how, how, how do you claim the discovery right? So basically you submit lists at the end of each season with players from abroad. The NWSL does this as well um, and it sort of play it, MLS is dumb for a number of reasons, not as a league but just in terms of its organization and this is one of them. But can you imagine Kansas City is, by the way, a real soccer town. There's a reason Kansas City got... got Holmes owns part of the... Well, it it got awarded the World Cup over Chicago, which is kind of nuts when you think about the population disparity in those two. But it still would be hilarious to think about Graham Zuzzi feeding, you know, long balls to Cristiano Ronaldo with... uh, Who's that Scottish dude? Uh, Oh, my God. Uh, No, 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 no. no. You know who I'm thinking of? Yes, he played for Derby. Yeah, um, Johnny Russell. Johnny Russell. Yeah, he plays like left wing. He'd have to give up his number. But it doesn't matter. Um, He will not be playing in MLS, which is probably for the best because, you know, given the state of U.S. soccer right now... (laughs) At the end of the day, Ronaldo is not playing in Kansas City. He is instead... (laughs) (laughs) As we all beam with glee, (laughs) he is instead playing for Al Nasser. (laughs) Dude... In the Saudi which, Pro League, which in South show, Africa, in yeah. South Africa, he's now strike partners Prince with Vincent Abubakar. Who actually might? It, I read today that the player that Al Nasser is looking at offloading in order to clear their foreign cap, because Cristiano Ronaldo arriving at the club means that Al Nasser have exceeded the amount of foreign players that they can have on the roster would potentially be Vincent Abubakar, so that we might never get to see that strike partnership. Dude, this is just... It'd be for I the mean, best. That's I, football I will terrorism. Say, like, I, this move just justifies <laughs> everything I've ever thought or said about this man. How embarrassing a human being. It's like the, you Andrew, have to the be, Andrew Tate of soccer. Like, he literally gives this whole interview with Piers Morgan. Well, that was the death mail. Right before, where he's like... <laughs> death mail, Nick? <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the death nail. <laughs> Ronaldo's just confirmed that he's literally just one of the lamest people on earth. There's no way around it. How can he possibly talk about wanting to be like this competitor and wanting to go out on top when he's literally all he's doing is like whining? He whines so much that his club, Man U, offloaded him and now look a lot better, as we said they would for since he transferred they there. They paid a fee to offload him. Yeah. They- had a bias and contract. he decided not to play in a top league because no Champions League team would ever take him on. He is literally a poison. Yeah, and he also just like was blatantly lying. He was like, "Oh, clubs all across Europe want me." Like they actually didn't. Well, and it's like we've I mean, seen Sporting could have wanted him, but Ronaldo chose seventy-five million right. instead. Like that's a choice. Yeah, we've seen several instances now throughout the past four years of him coming into high-quality footballing setups. And totally destroying them. Like Juventus, you know, we've talked about them already on this podcast. They're a shell of themselves, partly because of the outlay that they spent on Cristiano Ronaldo and recouped none, none of the promise that they were expected to 
from his signing, and Manchester United somewhat as well, although they're in a far more promising situation because now they've gotten that cancer out of the club. And so now he's going to a place in Al Nasser, in Saudi Arabia, where he's totally sold his soul for the Saudi check and essentially is like building a team in the Middle East that is ostensibly going to be Cristiano FC, where he has like all of the decision-making power. He's like gone full Mbappe. He can like be the GM, but sack it's just the coach. Like, it's just like for what though? For what? No, exactly. Yeah. And to, I guess, be, you know, get a lot of money, A, be the face of Saudi Arabia's bid for the World Cup in 2030. I thought that was Messi, though. <laughs> Which is still going to be Messi. Well, yeah. So once again, he's going to be second place in that. So, I mean, it is just sort of the sad end to uh, a really deteriorating four-year period for Cristiano Ronaldo. And I think you're right, Caleb. Like, the, the, the thing on the, the Messi-Ronaldo debate, which I think can firmly be closed now, was always the, the, the plus point for Ronaldo was that he was the ultimate competitor and, like, outworked everyone. And now you can say that, like, those two things aren't necessarily true, given this move. And so, yeah, it's a sad end to Ronaldo's time as, like, an elite player in Europe. And he's moving to a league that, according to its, like, quality ranking, is a bit better than the League 2 in England, but a bit worse than League 1. So at least he's going to score a lot of goals. I yeah, guess. he should really have signed. If he really wanted to make a difference, he would have signed for Scunthorpe United and, you know, tried to... Sign for Derby for free, man. Yeah. Yeah, or what's uh, the, the TV show? Sunderland. Oh, Wrexham. Wrexham. Oh, yeah. No. So he sucks. Yeah, he's we, bad. We, we knew this. We were way early on the he sucks trade. He started... He basically, after he had that bike in the Champions League... That was, pretty much, to you, that was pretty much the last moment where he was like a world-class player. and But his ego remained world-class. Yeah. Yeah. And his ego, which sort of, I think, drove him in the first part of his career, really hampered him in the second part. Well, even just like during the World Cup, it was a microcosm of everything that was wrong with Cristiano Ronaldo. Like the Portuguese national team played so much better when they were unshackled from, you know, having to deal with him when he was a substitute on the bench, when he was a non-factor and, like, leaving the game early, that's when they played their best football and they finally looked like a cohesive unit. I do think there is also, like, a logical explanation, which is that, like, for the majority of the good portion of his career, he was an elite left winger playing on really good teams with tremendous speed and his shot is still there, I think. Right. No, and, and I'm not he's transitioned. Like, no, no, no. And he's transitioned. Right. Because Christian Ronaldo yeah, yeah, yeah. is one of the, the 10 best players of all time. No, I he's always been bad. I unfortunately agree. He was carried by the people around him. But, but he, you know, he, once the pace went away a little bit yes. and he decided to become a, a full out, a full on striker. striker. But even his shot lost, like, there was that point where he still demanded to take free kicks and, and he was statistically one of the worst free kick takers in Europe. In part, uh, no, of all time, of all time. There was something where it was like, if Cristiano Ronaldo's scoring from a free kick is as likely as an earthquake hitting your city in Europe. Uh, so there's, a, I'll find a tweet at some point. But yeah, Ronaldo, he sucks, and I'm sort of happy he's going out sad because um, there's a lot of hubris there that, uh, yeah, that that goes into it. Um, let's like see. We're running, uh, well, we're running long. Yeah, we're running long. But other quick hits: Daily Blind to Bayern, good transfer for everyone. Yeah. Um, weird that Ajax let him go on a free, but I guess they sort of owe it to him because he's think, a, a yeah. captain and a club legend and yeah, I think that whatever. And I think uh, the big news before we 
wrap up here is before New Year's, uh, the sad news came out that Pele passed away. And obviously, you know, Pele's heyday as a player was long before any of us were even born, let alone following soccer. But I think when you think of soccer, the sport, um, I think of that Andy Warhol quote about Pele where he said that, you know, Pele transcends 15 minutes of fame and he'll have, you know, 15 centuries of stories written about him and as a person, as a player, as, as a figure in the sporting landscape. And I think definitely someone who leaves behind a intriguing history. If you read about, you know, the state of the game in the 60s and the 50s, uh, where he played uh, in Santos, you know, his several sojourns, you know, into Europe, particularly uh, also into North America, where he helped popularize the game as well at the New York Cosmos. I think someone who will go down as, you know, one of the greatest players of all time. And I think even so long now, post his playing days, you know, he won three cups with Brazil when Brazil were a powerhouse, an absolute powerhouse. And when the Brazilian league was undoubtedly the best league in the world. And I think, you know, someone who's going to forever be synonymous with not only soccer, but sports in general. Yeah, I think you just eulogized him better than either Caleb or I would have. So, um, yeah, a, a sad loss for the game. And he had been battling illness for a while. I yeah, think there were a couple, a couple of sort of, of near falls. Um, but very sad. Uh, obviously, the soccer world has lost now him and Maradona in the last uh, what, 18 months or so. So, um, you know, as one page turns another one opens i suppose and you know it's a it's a it's a loss and it's certainly a, a jet i wish i could have seen him play really because all the people who see all the people who saw him play were uh yeah well i love that impressed. video of from a few years ago it was maradona's like talk show mm. in argentina and you know pele was a, a guest and they maradona says you know like something i've always wanted to do is you know play with you and at this point they're both you know deep into retirement and you know Pele is another decade or two older two decades you know older than Maradona and they just do like headers yeah um and I think you know he I think really brought soccer into like modernity I don't know mm -hmm. like yeah. he like he is like the figure at like the inflection point of soccer into like what it has developed into today um, and so, yeah, his, his name will be mm. synonymous with, with the sport and, you know, he was the first soccer player to sign what at the time was a million dollar deal with Puma. Yeah. Like there's a lot of things that started with Pele, you know, a lot of, if you like watch old footage of him, like a lot of the moves that have been popularized by people like Johan Cruyff, like Cristiano Ronaldo, like Messi started with Pele. Like yeah, Pele, him and Garincha were him like the Garincha. first, uh, they were the first like dribblers, mm. which is, which is very cool. Right, I'm just thinking, like, he, he like, like at this point, like a lot, I think most things have been like done with the soccer ball, you know? But that wasn't always the case. No, right, and I think he created a lot of like the moves and movements that are yeah. like what we think of as the sport today. And like someone had to do it and, you know, it was him. So, a massive loss. Yeah. Um, and if you think about like uh, us as Americans watching soccer, you know, Pele was the first big international superstar to really take that step and go and play in America with the Cosmos, who are now no longer, you know, 
a real fixture in, in, in soccer. You know, they have been resurrected. Yeah, they're in the, the measle, I think. Yeah. yeah. But, like, at the time, Pele, who was in, like, a movie with Sylvester Stallone in the 1980s, had become, like, a pop culture icon and, like, was signing for a team in America. Like, that was a huge inflection point, as you said. He once stopped the Civil War. It's true. Yeah, he played a game in maybe the Congo where both sides agreed to an armistice to watch him play. So certainly a, a, a figure whose who's legend is sort of close to, to deified, um, but, you know, for all likelihood with good reason. So we leave 2022 uh, on that note, but plenty of stuff to come. Uh, obviously, the schedule gets really cramped pretty soon. Um, you know, after this FA Cup weekend, it's pretty much midweek games and weekend games for the rest of the year, which is terrifying for player health and safety, but very fun as a, <laughs> a passionate consumer we'll of soccer. And uh, we will be here as the Champions League and Europa League pick back up in, you know, a couple of weeks. And obviously as all the leagues resume for a frenetic next five, four and a half months. So uh, again, apologies for the audio quality and the inconsistent and volume the and the length. Um, but this was a lot of fun doing it the uh, the old school way rather than via our typical, you know, three locations, three streams. So until next time, I've been Nathan Strauss. Caleb Rhodes. Nick Vinden. And we'll see you all next time. It's always good to cross streams. Just saying. <laughs>